Hey listener, stop digging for hidden layers and come get this delicious brine, because today we're discussing Rick and Morty Season 3, Episode 3, Pickle Rick. Before we begin, I would just like to warn you all that there may be spoilers for any episode up to and including this one. So if you haven't seen all of Rick and Morty, you have been warned. And now, let's get started. I'm Joe. I'm Brandon. And today we are joined by the lovely, irreplaceable, worthy of licking... I don't know where that treasure tour is going, but I'm Dan Roselle. I host a different <laughs> podcast with Brandon. We talk about Rick and Morty there, but obviously here is the in-depth version of that. This is a much better one, yeah. Speaking of, what did you guys think of this episode? It was amazing. I loved it. It was it's so incredible. good. It was such a good comeback. Yeah, after last episode. It was quite the relief. Well, so I was quite nervous going into it because I was like, this Pickle Rick thing, is it like a sideshow or is it part of a greater point kind of deal? And we kind of got a little bit of both, right? It was very much like this whole sideshow thing going on. The absurdity that is Pickle Rick, but against the backdrop of the family therapy. Yeah. First of all, the, the line that got me, I didn't put this down as my joke of the episode because I saw the line on the preview, but the, do pickles live forever? Morty, stop trying to read into this and just be impressed i'm like oh my god he's talking to me yeah <laughs> exactly stop trying to read into this what do you want me to tack on to the end of this to make this impressive to you i'm a pickle and 9-11 was an inside job that was amazing <laughs> i rewatched it before we started this and i love that morty just says was it and rick says who cares <laughs> it started out really really strong i texted you brandon halfway through the episode like oh my god it's so much better than the week before i think this is the most seinfeldian plot we've ever gotten from a rick and morty episode in that it's sort of like seinfeld meets die hard it was a situation that could have been very easily avoided if Rick had just been like, no, I don't want to go to therapy. But instead, he becomes a pickle and goes on pickle adventures where he ends up killing Hans Gruber in the fucking embassy. What was your favorite joke of the episode? Oh, man, they're all so good. Danny Trejo's Jaguar. Not really like a specific joke, but just his presence in general. That was, was so, so amazing. Good. That's the non sequitur insane bullshit that I come to this show for. Not the I'm working out my problems. I knew the name Danny Trejo. I didn't realize he's that guy. Yeah, Tortuga from Breaking Bad. He's the guy I picture whenever I have a shot of Tito's vodka. <laughs> he's Tortuga and he's Machete. He's also the uncle in Spy Kids, I think. <laughs> no, he's mm, not. Mm-hmm, Antonio mm-hmm. Banderas is the dead. No, Antonio Banderas is the dad. I think Danny Trejo is the uncle. (laughs) You're totally right. Yeah, Spy Kids low-key had like a lot of people in it. One of the two kids went on to... Actually, did either of them have a successful career? Again, Alexa Vega and Machete. I think Carmen had a very successful porn career. No, it was not porn, for sure. No, I'm sure it wasn't. I just kind of wanted to say that, It was in some alternate universe where most of our dreams came true, but not in this one. Oh, God, she was a kid. That's all I know her as. She's no longer a kid. We're all kids. (laughs) There comes a time where every kid has to grow up and make some business decisions. I just discovered... Something. Danny Trejo's character in the Machete series and Spy Kids series is the same character. What? That crosses over? It's the same character. He plays Isador Cortez, also known as Machete, a fictional character from the four Spy Kids films and the Machete and Machete Kills films. Wait, okay. Back on track. Danny Trejo is my favorite joke. End. <laughs> Dude, if you call him a joke, he's going to pop into frame behind you and snap your neck. I'm just happy to meet him, really. <laughs> What a way to die. It's funny because he's like the most charitable celebrity of all time. (laughs) He looks like he'd scare the orphans as he's opening their orphanage. (laughs) 
He probably does. His presence is a scared straight program. Or scared gay if you're into him. But anyway, sorry, go on. One joke that like stood out to me the second time I watched it, which I didn't notice as much the first time, is when Rick's killing the last rat, and he starts saying, you may have noticed that despite your numerous unique characteristics, I didn't name you something like Scar because you're not important to me. Because <laughs> you're not special. <laughs> you're not special to me. You're special to them, and they're dead. <laughs> Guess you should have impressed me. <laughs> Every single fight sequence of the gratuitous amount of violence, it was fine because it was rats and vaguely Eastern European people, which I'm like pretty okay with. <laughs> the two types of things that's okay to beat senseless. Well, Nazis. Throw Nazis in there. Oh, right, of course. What country was that supposed to be? Is it Russia or is it one of the more genocide-y ones? If they were trying to speak Russian, they were doing so with a horrible, horrible accent. <laughs> the first thing they say when they open the elevator in Russian is, alert, there's a breach. It could have been something in a different language that sounds similar because just so many of them are similar, but I think they were just going for vaguely Eastern European. So my people make an appearance. As the bad guys, again. <laughs> well, that's not surprising because they're pretty bad guys. <laughs> just because you are a bad guy does not mean you are a bad guy. <laughs> and like, what is Jaguar doing there? I don't know. He's like the Honduran hostage that's being held in the Serbian embassy. I think it's one of those two places that we took from the Russians because they were spying on our election. Did we take places from the Russians? Oh yeah, we took two espionage sites from the Russians in retaliation for them trying to influence the election. Ha, huh, that'll show them. And Donald Trump, one of his first things in office was just like, eh, we'll give him back. The word they were calling Rick the whole time, Solenia, the way they said Solenia. it? Solenia. Solenia is pickle. It's like a weird tangential way to say pickle that's not really common usage, but I could totally see how they were attempting to make them sound Russian. Sadly, there is no old wives tale about a pickle man who crawls out of your cold soup. Well, it's not Russian, it's German. It's one of the grim fairy tales. Is it? No, no, it, it's, no, not. it's not. No, it's not. I'm fucking with you. <laughs> Even they're not that weird. <laughs> it was weird that the head of, let's just call it the Russian embassy, the head of the Russian embassy was a British guy. Why? Yes. Like, what? That's the part I didn't understand. Everyone else in there was speaking with some tinge of a Slavic accent, and then this guy is like, British robs them and then is set on fire. So like, great. But what is he doing there in the first place? Was he British? I thought he sounded like Hans Gruber. What? No. He had the same tinge to his voice that Alan Rickman does, and I think that's all I heard. He reminded me of Hans Gruber for sure, but- I said tinge, I didn't say he had the essence. Can you imagine, if he was still around, how good of a guest star he would have been on this show? Oh my god, that would have been amazing. Don't tell me ah. that, I'm gonna cry myself to sleep. I'm still waiting on the uh, Liam Neeson cameo that we're gonna get eventually, hopefully. Ooh, or maybe a Paul Walker ca- ah. Oh, no. Paul Walker. <laughs> Maybe one by David Bowie. Uh, he would have been perfect for Rick and Morty. Excuse me while I look up a list of all of the celebrities who died tragically in the past year. Carrie Fisher? Like, Adam West would have made sense in this category, too. I think Alan Rickman would have done Rick and Morty in a second, because there's a story from the first Harry Potter movie when it was in production where Rupert Grint was drawing a caricature of Alan Rickman, and Alan Rickman, like, walked up behind him and scared the crap out of him just being there and Alan Rickman gets asked about it in an interview he said I love the caricature I asked him to sign it and he gave it to me that's awesome, <laughs> that's awesome. he says I have it framed somewhere <laughs> 
Fuck it. Now's as good a time as I need to talk about it. I felt like the A story and B story were kept, you know, often they're separate, but in this case, the A story and B story were kept on either side of an alligator-filled moat. All of the comedy was in the Rick Pickle section, and all of the character development stuff was in the Beth therapy section. I was happy with what we got with Beth, but it was not funny. I love the Dr. Wong racist name. By the way, that's my joke of the- Oh, no, actually, my joke of the episode is, do I have infinite daughters? Uh, no. No, you don't. <laughs> Just me. <laughs> but I like the Dr. Wong racist name, but beyond that, it just was not very funny. And it could have used some humor. We got enough absurdity in the other part that it kind of spilled over into seeing him like walk into this therapist's room as a pickle and discovering that the only person on Earth, like this is the first time we've heard someone on Earth really acknowledge these things about Rick. And they're saying all these things to him as they see him sitting in their office as a pickle. That is its own level of absurdity that I kind of liked about the ending. It was funny to watch her just, oh yeah, this is normal. She didn't raise an eyebrow. It's like weird to me that of all the people that ever met Rick, she's the only one that nails down what he's dealing with. Because he's never really thought therapy was a thing worth pursuing. And it seems like at the end, he really didn't learn anything, even though the kids are like, oh my God, all this stuff just came out. The point of that scene really gets down to everyone thinks that they're so complex. And then when you come across someone who it's their profession to understand people, they can see what factors go into your life and what your relationship with yourself is a lot more easily than you thought anyone could. It's like the difference between you looking under the hood of a car and a mechanic looking under the hood of a car. You look under there and you just see this array of tubes and wires and what the fuck is going on. No one could possibly comprehend this shit. And then a mechanic looks, he's like, oh yeah, this is broken here and there, just do this and that'll be $67,000. What mechanic do you go to? Are you getting your plane fixed? No, that's every mechanic. Are you getting your private jet fixed? Is that what's happening? Do you guys not? Maybe you guys have higher quality jets than mine. Yes. When you're a jet, you're a jet all the way. Okay, I'll tell you that. Oh, God, I don't want to put that in. <laughs> okay, I really like that. <laughs> so that does sort of lead into... Another question. Dr. Wong says to Rick, you seem to alternate between viewing your own mind as an unstoppable force and as an inescapable curse. And I think it's because the only truly unapproachable concept for you is that it's your mind within your control. You chose to do a bunch of shit, come in here, belittle me, turn yourself into a pickle, etc., etc., you're the master of your universe, and yet you're sitting here literally in a vegetative state. So what I got from there is, and I couldn't really come up with any concrete examples of this, but maybe you guys can. It seems like she's saying Rick doesn't feel like he's in control of his own mind. What are your guys' thoughts on that? She mentions to a normal person the mundanities of life or like brushing teeth. To Rick, the mundane parts of life are reconciling the fact that he is one of the smartest beings in the universe with dealing with family, doing normal everyday things, and kind of thinking about how his brain works. That's boring to him, so he just wants to create adventures for himself. That's why he doesn't want to sit through therapy. He'd rather spend his time dicking around doing crazy shit, but like once he sees the consequences of some of the things he does like unity is a great example the episode with unity he sees the consequences of like what it does to that hive mind and what his influence does to people and that's where he really starts feeling like these crazy adventures that i have i'm kind of putting normal interactions on the back burner to facilitate them he's a monster of his own creation what he does with unity is he's doing all of the drugs he's running away from himself when he's drunk which is all of the time he is not in control of his own mind but he's very much in control when he chooses to go to certain places he 
drags Morty to his math teacher's house to incept him just because he doesn't want to deal with Morty having math homework. It's something like that that he sp- chooses to spend his time on, which is inherently dangerous, but provides him the kind of thrill that reading the newspaper would. Yeah, but the thing about choosing to go to those places is there's very little control. He could have gone up to Mr. Goldenfold, been like, here is $10,000. Now give Morty A's in math and Mr. Goldenfold would have been like, fine, as long as he keeps groping me like he did in episode one, we'll be all good. <laughs> but instead he chooses to fuck with Goldenfold's mind, get attacked by Scary Terry, do all of this crazy shit because it's dangerous. It's a situation where he is not in control and it seems to be something he thrives on. Like, maybe he wants to feel the chaos of the universe because that way he can justify the fact that he destroys realities and never looks back. It's like, well, it's not my fault. The universe is a crazy, chaotic place. You can't save everyone. Maybe that's the mental defense he's built up. He wants to put himself in danger to escape it and challenge himself because if he does things like giving money to Goldenfold, that is the mundane solution he has to a problem he's facing where he'd rather create his own situations and, you know, he said he turns himself into a pickle to challenge himself. I think he does that with almost every possible situation he has. Going back to the Inception episode, I kind of always tied that to the Bill Gates quote, find someone who's lazy to do a complex thing because they'll find the easiest way to do it. So instead of addressing the math homework as it comes in, he's going to take Morty to Mr. Goldenfold's house, incept Mr. Goldenfold, and stop the flow of math homework right away, as opposed to dedicating a small amount of time each week to deal with it. I always viewed that as he's brilliant, but he also does not want to deal with mundane tasks in any way. Even if it's a ridiculous, convoluted way to get around it, he would rather choose that. Should we talk about Beth? Yes, let's talk about Beth. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Last week we were complaining that we didn't see enough of Beth. We just saw a cardboard cutout. This week we sure as shit saw some Beth. What did you guys think? Beth was completely independent of Jerry in this one. This is like pretty much the first time we've seen her independent of the context of Jerry. This is just her as a human and it was awesome. She seems to be in like this hardcore denial. She is very much her father's daughter in the way that she she doesn't really legitimize a therapist at any point. She tries some things but like like when they're leaving and Rick turns back into a human, she just kind of brushed it off as if nothing happened. Basically, it was a circular path to get to. I shouldn't lie to you. Okay, thanks. And then they're like, let's go get ice cream. All the kids are like, we should probably go back there. And she's like, nah, it's bullshit. I wonder if had Rick not shown up, if Beth would have taken to heart what the therapist was saying, or if she would have rejected it anyway, because she did seem to be taking something. I'm not sure if she was taking it in or just acting, but it looked like she was taking something in that the therapist had been saying. I think she thought she was. She did ask Rick, so is that anti-pickle juice? He's like, yep. And then immediately afterwards, Rick undercuts it with, hey, let's go out for a drink. And I wonder if that was Rick manipulating her on purpose, where he's rewarding her with a small amount of attention. Like, hey, let's let's go out and grab a drink. I don't know if he knows the kind of influence he has on her, because it seems like no matter what he does, like, she will always take his side. And I don't know if Rick is fully aware of that. He might be acutely aware of it in the sense that he kind of uses that to break up her and Jerry. But I don't think he knows the true extent of it. I think he does. I don't know if he means to like cause her harm that way because it's very clearly affecting her life, her relationship with her family and the kids and Jerry and all that. But I don't know if that was his intention. He wouldn't do it maliciously, but I think he's going to do whatever, even if it includes fucking over his own daughter. I think Summer and Morty he will protect. 
he will protect his reputation with Beth, but I don't know the extent to which he'd be like, I shouldn't do this to my daughter, or eh, I can fuck up this version of my daughter. I got an infinite number of other daughters. But if he's attempting to protect Summer and Morty, clearly they're not taking this the way that he thought they would. That did not have the anticipated result that he was hoping for. I think the result he was hoping for is just get Jerry to go away. I think in the season two finale, Jerry was considering turning Rick over to the Galactic Federation. So I think it could have just been a matter of petty revenge. But I don't think he wanted to affect the kids the way he did. Like, he, he doesn't think about that at all. No, not at all. He may have even considered, but he's like, w- I'll fix it after. I just pieced together that this episode probably has one of those endings that gives you the impression that they changed in some way, and there's just no change whatsoever. There could have been in the kids, though. It, oh, yeah, in the kids, they're legitimately seeing some help from this encounter with the therapist, and they're just like, wait, we should go back, like, that probably would be helpful but like in Beth and Rick it kind of gives you all five seconds of oh look they're getting closer so maybe the things are going to change for them and then it's just like nope I think in this case what appeared to be a change was exactly not a change you know him inviting her out for a drink like all right let's go bury our problems in alcohol dear that's the Sanchez way apparently I think that hearing the therapist say what she said to Rick has subconsciously given Beth some form of awareness about what Rick is this was the first person who could see all this right away and I think that gets to Beth while she's still gonna take his side on everything she is much more aware as to how his mind works and partially why he does some of the things he does but maybe she's just accepted that's who he is I think she's still at the point where she isn't aware of how broken she is you know she needs help so badly she doesn't know she needs help yet and I don't know if we're ever gonna see Beth get to that point because once she does once she starts getting help and gets on a path to recovery then there's no real point in her character anymore because this is a comedy and the funny part is seeing her not together well there's awareness and then there's like actively trying to fix it Do you think we're at the point of awareness yet, or we're not even there yet? I don't think we're there yet. It is possible there is a thought. Have you ever tried to help someone who's in a really shitty place, and you end up talking in circles because the advice you're giving them is sound, but they're not ready to hear it? Well, yeah, I called you yesterday, Joseph. I (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for that joke. So one thing about Beth, I saw, I I watched through several clips of the episode to get the questions together and whatnot, and I scrolled down to the comments, and there was one disgruntled commenter who was very mad. He's like, Beth is a complete bitch, which, by the way, I wouldn't go so far as bitch only because I understand why she feels the way she feels. I would say she's emotionally abusive to her children. The therapist, like, calls her out, which I thought might be the spark of self-clarity. She immediately says to the therapist, fuck off, and when the kids say, hey, but she's, and they immediately says to both of her kids, fuck both of you. If it Dimensional Cable 3 doesn't happen at some point this season and is a completely free episode from this whole divorce saga, I'll be really disappointed because that is their one opportunity to get away from this plotline. That would have made a good segue, but I have things to say and damn it, I'm gonna say it. So this one commenter was really pissed about the fact that Beth is a terrible mother, but she gets to keep the family and Jerry gets an angry wolf that eats his unemployment check. Unless my suffering nourishes you. The thing is, I agree with what they said, I just don't agree with the conclusion they drew, which is, this is bad. I think this is the point of the show, that the universe doesn't give a fuck about you. You can be the greatest human being on the planet, or you can be the worst human being on the planet, but if you both fall out of plane, you're gonna hit the ground at the same speed, because the universe doesn't give a fuck. Did you just tie this back to Galileo? 
Well, no, Brilliant. I mean, maybe, but... <laughs> yeah, he dropped a bowling ball and, like, a smaller ball off the Leaning Tower of Pisa to see if they'd fall at the same rate. Jesus, dude. Yeah, but, like, it's not fair that Jerry is... He would be a good father, I think. He's pathetic, and he's not a good role model, but he'd be a good father. He loves his kids. Beth would sooner sacrifice everything in her life in exchange for just one moment of tenderness with her father. She's a terrible mother, but she gets the kids. Jerry doesn't. Well, she doesn't even want authentic tenderness with Rick. She just wants the illusion of it. She doesn't even need it to be real tenderness. She just needs to feel for like five seconds like she actually is having a connection with him. Also, they're both terrible parents. They're both highly incompetent. No, no, I'm not saying Jerry's... uh... He's incompetent, but he's a loving father is what I'm saying. He abandoned his son for the affection of King Flippy Nips. I'm not saying he's not an idiot. He's a sitcom parent in that he's dysfunctional. He's not father of the year. He makes mistakes, but I think if you had to choose who should Morty be raised by... Barry or Jeff, Jerry or Beth, it should probably be Sleepy Gary. <laughs> Sleepy Gary was the perfect parent. I'm a parasite. Yeah, yeah but, but you're, you're real. real. <laughs> but I think Beth will accept fake tenderness from Rick in the same way that if you're starving, it's like, okay, fine, I'll eat McDonald's. But I think that ultimately what she wants is a real connect. Like, that's what she's so fucked up about. She wants a father. She wants some real fatherly connection. But since all that Rick has to offer are these empty gestures of let's go get a drink, sweetie, she'll take it. Because she just thinks that's the best that he has to offer, or? No, I think he, like, genuinely cares for her. It's not like he doesn't care about her. No, I don't think he doesn't care about her i just think he doesn't show that he cares about her and in the absence of real affection she'll take the lie yeah Hmm, you make a good point note the surprise in my voice (laughs) you started to say something segue-y before and i can't remember what it was but it was good this was about the amount of time that we would take to play out this whole divorce scenario okay first episode they kind of gave it to us ham-fisted jerry's by the moving truck we know it's happening it's real it's not just like a throwaway plot point like it was for the first two seasons this one they're going to family therapy i imagine we're gonna get this as a b story a lot of the time as they explore this and if it's supposed to be the darkest season of the show so far it would make sense that that is the backdrop for it but i think that that leaves plenty of room to do a fun diversion some point in the middle of the season like for example an interdimensional cable three where they could take a day to be like you know what nothing matters come watch tv and that wouldn't just be for them that would be for all of us too i think they need to have that kind of thing happen at some point this season to break up this whole extended arc of their dealing with what rick has done to them that'd be interesting question is the divorce final because beth says oh they're just mad at me because i divorced their father but is it final or are they in like the working stages of it i think they're in working stages yeah it takes a long time well i mean they have had a year and a half no they haven't season three started recently i know i'm invalidating your joke actually now that i think about it you are correct they did have since april but yeah i'm just wondering over the course of the season is it going to end with beth and jerry actually getting divorced or are they going to have the kodak moment where they realize that they still love each other this episode of the daily squanch brought to you by kodak (laughs) i think definitely the second one we saw a prime example of this the first time they were thinking about splitting up that was interdimensional cable one and guess what at the end of the episode in every conceivable universe beth and jerry end up together the only one where they aren't together right now is the one where the rickest rick is interfering and we've seen in the cronenberg episode when they're in the abandoned ruins of the cronenberg world and jerry's all ramboed up beth just says you know now that rick's gone i'm finally happy now that rick and morty are gone i'm finally happy how is 
Morty the problem child there. I don't know. Ask her. But you're correct. That is really interesting. Rick is the wrench in sheep's clothing. You're mixing metaphors here. <laughs> so yeah, it's interesting in that left to their own devices, Beth and Jerry do belong together. Like every marriage counselor and everyone they've ever tried to talk to has said, you're just terrible fucking people and you belong together because of it. Speaking of the therapist, courage for the patients that are trying to eat poop and dedication for the... <laughs> and also, that is the correct uh, corpophagia. What? Hang on. That was the, like a weird detail. It's the real word. Corpophagia. That joke didn't really strike me as that funny. What would have been a really funny callback joke is when Morty opens. It's like, oh, gross! It's filled with pictures of people eating poop. If he threw it down and you just see a picture of Doofus Rick inside, that would have been a good joke. Or that guy who's eating shit in that movie. Here's a court order. It says you can't eat shit anymore. Well, now I'm hooked. Like I said, the only version of them that's dealing with this kind of thing is our rick the one that we follow all the other ricks seem relatively satisfied do you think that rick is going to have to keep trying harder and harder do you think beth and jerry are going to be missing each other more maybe something's gonna happen with jerry and he's gonna try and get beth back and rick's gonna have to keep trying increasingly erratic measures to keep the two of them apart i mean there was a choice that was made last season it was like it's either me or him and then beth comes in like we're gonna be spending some time apart and obviously if it's in any situation where it's, it's me or him it's gonna be the titular character but there is that clip in in the preview where we see Jerry on a roller coaster with Rick. But I wonder if there's ever going to come a point where Rick is like, all right, I will talk to Beth and convince her to want you back. For the sake of Rick's storyline, I hope that he learns enough to realize that it's very much a codependence between Beth and Jerry, as we it saw. Is. And they need to fucking fix that, but that's never going to happen. That's not his problem, though. I don't think Rick is ever going to get to a point where he's like, it would be the right thing to do for my daughter, who I am supposed to love. It's going to be for his own selfish reasons. Well, yeah, that's what we've come to know about him. Like, Every time he saves Morty, he's like, I only saved you so we could go chase the Szechuan sauce, like that kind of thing. And like, how much of that is true, I don't know, but it's totally believable that initially he saves the family out of hairy situations just because he cares about them and knows that his life would be worse without them. But I think he then invents a reason that he did it. Yeah, you've seen him do that in the first episode of season two, the time split episode, where he sacrifices his own life to save Morty's, and then by a stroke of good luck, he survives himself. But then he immediately follows it up with, uh, Morty, that was all your fault, you fucking piece of shit. I think he's terrified of having any form of human connection because he's lost it too many times. Wow, this conversation has really reversed the feeling I had of some progress. Well, like I said, I think the kids made a lot of progress. This is probably one of the first episodes where they were in no way the focus. The whole reason they went to therapy was because of things that the kids did, but it turns out that they did not need it as much as Beth does. And the kids see and hear this about how things are affecting both Rick and Beth. And like I said, this is the first time they really hear things like this from people on Earth. Other humans can understand whatever Rick is. I think that they're going to make big, big character strides. I wish we got to see more of Concerto. That was my biggest disappointment of the episode, was finding out that Concerto was just a one-off joke and not a, uh... Not like a major plot point? Yeah, that was a good Jaguar bit. I hope Jaguar comes back. What was that? That, Morty, is why you don't go to therapy. <laughs> Which is ironic, because I'm skipping a therapy session to do this podcast. That explains a lot about you. 
Let's add some jokes. Uh, what other gruesome methods did Rick use to kill the armed guards? If you saw what his ship is capable of, imagine what he could do with his own two hands. In my head, he I don't know how he did it, but he somehow convinced one of the guards' wife, child, and dog to come over all dressed as pickles, and then tricked the guy into killing his own family, and then that's the one guy he allowed to live. What the fuck <laughs> did I just listen to? <laughs> I mean, I was going to say, I think he just tricked one guy into killing the other guy and then himself, but here's the thing, it was something else. That was so dark. Yeah. I just thought he would have killed someone with, like, a staple remover or something like that. Not make a guy kill his family. Yeah, but he also built himself, like, an insane laser. Out of, like, a webcam. That was fucking sweet. That was some John McClane awesome shit. Uh, okay. John McClane building that laser. As a pickle? Out of a webcam. It kind of looked like the butter robot, actually. One line that stuck out to me was when, was her name Susan Sarandon, Dr. Wong? She says, your family uses intelligence to justify sickness. So I was looking for evidence, but I couldn't think of much. It's kind of just all in the excuses they make for Rick. That's interesting that she said the whole family does it. Because I'm pretty sure that it follows both ends of the spectrum. Where Rick is like the hyper-intelligent guy who has all this going on. And he doesn't want to acknowledge that he's sick. And then you have Morty, who's on the other end. Who literally, because he's got less brain power is more valuable to the family. We know he's not good in school. We don't know how well Summer's doing in school, but we know it's not well because no one ever mentions it, and they're in therapy for these really dumb reasons. Rick, on the other hand, turns himself into a pickle, has destroyed entire realities, has not entirely his fault, but infested the house with mind parasites. He's done so much worse than huffing enamel and pissing himself. And I'm sure when he gets drunk enough, he's pissed himself. Happens to the best of us. It also happens to you. But he gets away with it because of his intelligence. And I think we know why Beth puts up with Rick, because she's a shell of a woman. But I think Morty and Summer, I think they put up with Rick, not necessarily because of intelligence, but it's sort of like if you were living with the doctor as played by Charles Manson. You might wake up with missing <laughs> limbs. You're playing Russian roulette every time you close your damn eyes. But he takes you to fantastic places that you could never otherwise see. Like Sharon Tate's house? It's new experiences. New doesn't mean good. But Charles Jeez. Manson? I mean... This was the wrong episode to be a guest on. <laughs> I'm now implicated. I'm an accomplice now. <laughs> <laughs> Not if we post it online. We can technically say that we were alerting the authorities. <laughs> I guess the last question would be, did anybody learn a lesson from this little adventure? Be it Rick learn anything, did Beth learn anything, the kids, it seemed like they learned something. What do you guys think? I think the kids learn that someone else can finally understand what Rick is. I think they've heard it from a bunch of places, but this is the first time when they're like, this is a tangible human person whose experiences I can relate to as a fellow human, but they also understand Rick in a way that we haven't seen before. Agreed. And I don't think they were sure if that existed. That's interesting, yeah. She's the first impartial human being to call Rick on anything he's done. You can hear it from a bunch of aliens, but until you see another human being talking about it, it's kind of jarring that you can identify so much with this person and knowing that if their brain can comprehend what's going on with Rick, then yours may not be so foreign after all. The magnitude of what they have to deal with is certainly off the charts, but boil it down and what you're left with is this... I'm not even sure how to describe their relationship. It's, what you're left with is this... Um, this is where we end the podcast. 
The reason he brings them on these adventures is because that's the way he deals with his problems. And that is unique to only him. But if you boil it down, he's dealing with the same stuff everyone else is dealing with. That's a good way of putting it. His coping mechanisms are eccentric, but it's all the same thing underneath. So yeah, long story short, Morty and Summer probably learned something. I agree with Dan. Now, as to whether or not they can actually do something with it, or if they're just stuck with that knowledge until they actually get out of the house and can see your therapist on their own dime, that remains to be seen. I'm pretty sure Dr. Wong will not be a regular because she's a guest. That's the problem when it's a big name. We know Jaguar's never coming back. He's fucking Danny Trejo. <laughs> that took you a lot more work than it should have. Trejo. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Susan Sarandon's a pretty big guest, but I can see more and more humans kind of filling that role for them as the season goes on. I think the season is going to end with a bit of a split between Rick and the kids. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but I think that if that eventuality does happen, the lessons that they learned in this episode will lend us a bit more depth. All right, I got nothing else. That's a lot of good discussion. And we're done in a fucking hour. This was an efficient discussion. Hopefully it comes out to be more than a 10-minute podcast. We'll just edit it down to the 10 best minutes of the entire hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> I just feel like there wasn't a lot of fluff. It was a lot of substance. It was funny and actiony, but neither of those lend themselves to good discussion, which is not a bad thing. It's bad for people who analyze it, but it's good for the show. The Pickle Rick part of the episode was just, it was just enjoyable to watch. It didn't need much examining. It didn't need much depth because it wasn't something that the other characters are built around. It was just, let's watch Rick as a pickle take out a government base. Depth would probably have taken shit away from it. Don't try to analyze it and just be impressed. Thank you, Rick. Thank you for listening. This has been The Daily Squanch, our non-daily Rick and Morty podcast, presented to you by Pancake Pug. If you have questions or theories you'd like to share, if you have suggestions on how we can improve the podcast, or if you'd like to send us homemade pickles, see, I made it topical this time, you can find us on YouTube or Twitter at PancakePug, or on our website, PancakePugProductions.com.